Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Band of Heathens rocks. Gordy Quist rocks. This is a band out of Austin, Texas. They've been rocking for about 15 years, and they're doing it all themselves. They own all their own records. They put them out on their own record label. They work their asses off. Gordy Quist from Band of Heathens is my guest on this episode of Wheels Off. And during the pandemic, like so many of us, he is having to reinvent the wheel. We talk about that. We talk about the hoops through through which we must now I'll jump to do some version of our job. But you can tell from listening to our conversation that he still loves this job, as do I. And we feel very lucky to get to do it. That was um, a common theme through all these conversations I've been having the last few months. Um, But very much so with Gordy. Uh, He's a good dude. I really love talking to him. I'll tell you right now, that this introduction I'm having to record on my phone because I'm on top of a mountain and I didn't record it when I should have when I was down at the bottom of the mountain. And yet here we are. But it's appropriate because the conversation you're about to hear, we couldn't do it with our normal technology. We had to use a different technology. I won't throw anybody under the bus, but the one that we did use um, made my voice come through crystal clear while Gordy's voice, not so much. My producers have tried in post to even out our voices and make Gordy's voice clearer and louder, but they could only do so much. I still think it's worth a listen. Um, I think you can wrestle through the sound issues. I mean, this is the world we live in now, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I really appreciate Gordy uh, sitting down to talk to me and I really, really appreciate the hard work that he's doing. Um, they have a brand new record out right now called Stranger. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, I love that there are people still making music in the face of, um, you know, what could be a pretty bleak time. And uh, I think the trick is just what Gordy says. Just 
one day at a time. You go out there, you do your best, you stay positive. That's all we can do. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please welcome Gordy Quist from Band of Heathens. Please welcome to Wheels Off, Gordy Quist. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, how are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, uh, you know, balancing the crazy year we're having with uh, school starting for the kids uh, a couple days ago and, uh, you know, living life through uh, through Zoom, you know? <laughs> and, and you and I are both in our respective homes and for the edification of our listeners, where is that for you? So I'm in Austin, Texas, uh, and my band, the Band of Heathens, we... Are kind of we're based here. We we formed in Austin about 15 years ago, and uh, but as the years have gone on and where we live didn't really matter as much. Uh, two of us still live here, but now there's a guy in LA and there's a guy in Nashville and, and another guy in Asheville, North Carolina. So we're we're kind of spread out, but uh, I still call Austin home. Sure, I can't believe it's been 15 years. I remember when you guys started, and it seems like uh, not long ago. I know it's crazy. Oh. You know, you know what they say. Uh, life, life is like a uh, a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> the uh, the closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. Ah, I've never heard that before. Yeah, and I wasn't sure where it was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this is really cool. Congratulations, by the way. You've got a new single out. Thanks, or- man. Yeah, yeah. I'm we're getting- we're kind of. Uh, releasing tracks from a new record that's coming out here in a couple of weeks and uh just i I think we've actually put out almost half the record ahead of time as singles isn't that funny they call it grat tracks yeah yeah tracks that we give away for free as if we're not giving it all away for for free right um oh my god so so it sounds like you're working a lot in right now in sort of the marketing end of music like putting it out but um, what what I mean, and maybe the answer is the putting the music out is the creative thing. But what creative project are you working on right now, and and how is it lighting you up? Well, what's I guess the uh, we we recorded the record a while back, and now we're doing all the the press and the all, everything leading up to the release. But probably the the craziest thing I'm working on right now is I have a studio here in Austin. Um, I don't know if you ever knew George Reef. Uh, he was a really great bass player, sweet guy. Um, did you ever work with George? I didn't, but I knew him by reputation, but yeah. not personally. George was a dear friend and produced a couple of records for the Heathens, and uh, he passed away like three years ago. And, and I've, uh, I've since taken over what was his studio, and I am just finishing up like a 10 month project of totally redoing the place. Wow. And, um, do you know, Mark Neal? Mm-hmm, of course. Mark is, uh, he did the, the design and the dimensions. And so I'm working with Mark and then, uh, Jim Valentine, who I think you've worked. Oh with yeah, well. totally. So, so we're kind of retooling the whole studio. Um, Got that. And just for the listeners that may not know the inside of rec- like recording studio engineer, producer type people, that is a murderer's row, those two people. They're crazy. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's been really, this year has been 
a crazy year, but then to be doing this with them in the midst of all the the, the crazy pandemic, um, it's it's been interesting. You know, the studio's been down, but it's been uh, it's it's been a full plate of, of work. So, but we're almost done. We're actually the band's coming into Austin in a couple of weeks, and we're going to do like the first sessions in the new place. We're going to live stream from it, and the live streaming thing—that's the new other kind of like art form that we're diving into and figuring out. You know, well, I haven't seen much um, full band stuff. I've seen a little bit. I haven't seen much that I felt like really kind of felt like it replaced seeing an actual band. Sort of you and I doing what we do where we sit in front of a computer and play our songs that's something that's like replicable from the olden days like i can tell stories and sing songs for you songwriter style but a rock band like you guys are a great live band and that's something that's been taken away from people and what i would give to plug in an amp and be in a room with a drummer and just play loud it's been since uh february i think since we've done that and uh that's the longest I've gone since I think I was like 13 years old without yeah. like plugging in with a rock band. And so, um, so yeah, it's what I, what I think we've been missing in, in the, I mean, I'm grateful for the tools that we have and I've really felt connected to our people through these, we do private concerts. I know you're doing a bunch of stage it shows. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a weekly kind of a variety show with the full band and we can't like play together but we can trade songs and cocktail recipes and tell stories it's kind of it's fun um and then we do a bunch ed and i both do a bunch of private shows uh through zoom and so what we've lacked in rock and roll energy and the things that i love about my band uh we're kind of making up for an intimacy and and connection you know and so it's like hey it's not the same, but it's just something that's different, you know. God, it's so funny. You you just put it in a way that I don't think I've thought of it exactly, but it's something I've been circling around myself. You found the silver lining, in, uh, in which I think is all of our jobs right now is to look for the freaking silver linings, right? But it's that. you've you, We've traded the volume and the noise and the just sheer uh, ecstasy of volume for the intimacy and that's a great thing to think great way to think of it yeah yeah i mean it's kind of yeah without just trying to find the silver lining like you said and just embrace the positive side of it it's like well you know maybe we can't turn it up and and feel all the adolescent energy (laughs) of rock and roll that we love so much but hey we're older now and uh we can embrace the uh the subtleties and the intimacy and storytelling and so um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I would say we're, we're surviving. Okay. You know, boy. And you know, you and I both, you and I both or each, I don't know which is the right word. We each have, um, a couple of kids. And so that's obviously one of the silver linings, right? You're getting to, after you finish your job there in that really nice room, you've got set up for music. You can just walk into the next room and put them to bed, I guess. Right. Yeah, it's it's been great. It's funny, had my studio been done or not been kind of under renovation, I probably would be there all the time. So it's actually kind of nice that that, that project lined up with the longest stretch. I mean, it's funny, my wife and I, we've been married for 15 years, and this is the longest I've ever been home. <laughs> I know. You know. And so it's been really great to to be home and be present and, and have all our meals together and... Um, Again, like we're going to, it's, 
you go a little crazy, but uh, but I, again, it's my life is normally so transient and always just somewhere else. It's really great um, being present and and being here in my in my little spare bedroom uh, streaming room. So you pointed back to a time when you were 13 years old, and ever since that time, you've been regularly playing rock and roll at high volumes and with friends and making music. And I just wonder, is that is that the age that you sort of think back to when you knew this was it? Was there sort of an epiphany moment for you? Where did you know that this was going to be the sort of creative life you were going to live? Man, I I had kind of a... I started playing music early, but uh, I've, I had, as a kid, I was always into sports more than music, and I always liked music. But um, growing up outside of Houston, like football was everything. I played lots of sports, but football was much where I played in college. What'd you play? And I well, in in high school, I played uh, quarterback and safety. Yes. But in uh, in, I was a much better defensive player than I was a quarterback. When I was playing quarterback, I liked to tuck the ball and run just so I could hit people. <laughs> um, but uh, but I ended up playing linebacker in college. I was kind of recruited as either I was either going to be a really big, strong safety or an undersized, fast linebacker. And I ended up um, I went to a small school in the Northeast called Dartmouth College, and I played played uh, linebacker, and I ended up putting on a lot of weight, so I actually ended up kind of being a, a pretty good-sized linebacker like 50 pounds ago. So, Wow, that's yeah. so cool. So, yeah, so it's weird. Like, my, my music thing was always on the side and for fun. I had always played in rock bands. I grew up on the Beatles and, and Dylan and the Stones. My parents, like, were – they loved music. Um, but I, and I never viewed it as, like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, it was always an outlet for me, and and what's weird, I think about it now, like with my kids, I'm, we're always like talking about expressing a feeling through art, and my like one of my daughters, Fiona, she loves to draw and paint, and she does music, and I, it's good to learn all the technical sides of whatever your your craft is, but I'm also really big on, like while you're honing, you know, the, your skills always be thinking about like what are you saying like what emotion what does that piece of music make you feel what does that painting make you feel okay how can you do the same thing and i never growing up i music was always fun i was really into it but i didn't think about it in terms of like saying something it was always like oh just i want to learn the solo in like metallica's (laughs) injustice for all and like learn how to shred on the guitar you know so like um for me figuring out the art form of it more than just like a, like a rock and roll adolescent outlet for energy and fun um i kind of came to that a little bit later i, I um a few like I, I i went to a lyle lovett concert when i was a teenager and like that was my first glimpse into like songwriting and the craft of like how a, a person can like tell stories and write songs and kind of like that in and of itself, take the band out of it. Like that is its own thing that's beautiful. Um, but then, you know, I, I went to school and focused on sports and had a band on the side. But like I honestly, post-college, played in the band for a while, 
got a straight job and real that's when actually when I realized like I can't do this. I can't go sit behind a desk. I hate my life doing that. <laughs> and I was fortunate that I could actually like I, I had the opportunity to just be like, I'm not doing this. I'm moving to Austin and I'm gonna do whatever it takes and you know, live in my car, crash on couches, like kind of just like I was gonna prove to myself like I can be a troubadour songwriter and like that will sustain me, you know? I imagine there were people in your life that second guessed this choice of yours. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, my, my parents have always been uh supportive <laughs> but I'm sure they were nervous for, for many, many years. Uh and, and as a parent now I, I feel for them. I can't you know, like I I probably put them through uh, a tough time emotionally. Uh, but I'm, I'm really fortunate, you know, I, I've, it's kind of worked out in a way that I, even better than I could have imagined, even though we're not some mega rich superstar band, you know, I'd say we're like a middle class, a middle class band where we don't have to have other jobs, but we're, you know, we get to keep making art and keep making records. Well, that's, I, I feel like that's a good place to be. I mean, as, as, as two dads who are raising kids via music it seems like it's pretty rare and we're pretty lucky. And I think that people think that when it happens, it just happens. But like I look at you and I've, I've been watching you, you know, for pretty much 15 years. I feel like you work really hard. Like you've dedicated yourself every day, every week, every year to like this job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think no matter what you do, you know, any job. And again, this is something you, you know you try to instill in your kids is like, I don't care what you do with your life. There's like two rules: be kind first and foremost, and work hard. And you know, I, even though this is art and it's a job where people you, know, you can get away with sleeping in, you can get away with staying up late, you can get away with drinking on the job, like all all the things that in the normal world those are not okay, and they look like you're a slacker. The reality is if you want to like do anything in any field, you got to work your ass off, mm. you know, I don't know. I love I mean, that. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm with you. I, I, I love it. Um, I'm thinking about, boy, it's funny to think about um, so many people, I think, and I, I think I was one of them uh, when I gave up on the dream of doing anything other than music. I thought it was because there was a cutoff date, like at a certain age, like I got to do this when I'm young. This is a young man's game, but you were in um, a world of sports where there is an even younger cutoff. Were you like really aware that while sports was consuming your life, that there was a definite cutoff date for that? And like, and then, and when you did think about music, did that? It's, it's just funny to me that that's something that was going to be a later in life thing. Yeah, it is weird. Um... I, you know, I wasn't good enough to like ever seriously consider like, oh, I'm going to go play pro or, you know, that was not, uh, that was not in the cards and I was aware of that. So I did know there was a cutoff date with sports and, and at simultaneously I was actually like really getting into music around that time. And like, I think I made my first record with my band in college at the time around then and, um, and I don't know when that all ended a lot of my my buddies I played sports with like 
and I think this is a common thing with athletes, like when that ends, you have this crisis of your identity and it's depressed. A lot of people go into this deep, deep depression and you have to like kind of reinvent yourself and figure out who you are because so much of your identity has been wrapped up in being an athlete. Well, I didn't really have any of that. I, I, I was actually like, oh, wow, now I have free time to do music. To, you know, this thing that I've always done on the side that I was starting to really get into and I now I had time for it. And so um, maybe I was kind of a late bloomer with the music, but... You know, I don't know. I I did not. I probably should have been more aware of the shelf life. The reality of like, if you really want to make it, like you gotta, you have a, a certain number of years where, you know, you're marketable. You know, on the on the big level, like you kind of got to be in that sweet spot. Uh, and it's probably tougher for women than it is for men. I feel like men can get away with a little longer shelf life. And and you know, I don't. It's uh. I don't think it's it's bizarre. You know, it's like thinking back to the days of like ugly rock stars. You know, it's like before now there's social media and all this video content and it's like the look and we we joke about it in my band, we like the Instagram bands. Like there are bands out there that like they're terrible bands. They sound atrocious. But when you like look at their like profile online, it looks like they look amazing. They look like they're this amazing band, and um, and I don't know. I feel like yeah, we're, I'm you know now I'm like I feel like I'm an old guy, uh, in in a young man's game. But you know nothing I can do about it. I feel like I feel like you and I both wound up though in a genre that lets you get old a little bit. I mean, you mentioned Lyle Lovett earlier. I think about Willie Nelson. I think about these guys where. You know, you're allowed to get older and people appreciate it. I mean, Ray Wiley Hubbard or whatever, on and on the list, you know, the list goes. And so, you know, knock wood, I hope we both get to keep doing what we do. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, or or you, you just say, I'm going to keep doing what I do. And <laughs> like, I mean, I'm kind of at that point now where it's like the art itself like is the thing that I'm going to do. And if I have to someday go get a job or do whatever, like, okay, so what? I'm kind of like, you know, maybe that means I'll get to be home with my kids more. But, you know, the reality is like, I'm fortunate we have an audience, a fan base. I love my band. The guys are incredible guys. I would never, like, there's, it's not like I'm longing for something else artistically. It's like, man, these guys are great. Um, and we're just going to keep doing it. And, you know, the hope is to, I mean, obviously provision as you get older, like money becomes more, it used to be, like, I didn't care how much money there was. Now it's like, okay, got to provide, but yeah, just, I'm going to keep doing it no matter what, you know? It, it sounds like the recording studio is one of those things where you're kind of like creating a business that works with your art, but I think that's really clever. That's not, that's something I've never really done but i admire when people sort of figure out how to do that i mean that seems like a smart move yeah i, I didn't i didn't uh analyze it or really think about <laughs> it too much um it actually was kind of strange like i've been getting into uh, i've produced a few records for for some friends and other artists um but it was later on in in making music where I really started paying attention to like, ooh, what's that microphone? What does that do? Like, why are you using that compressor instead of that one? And you know, 
kind of getting into the nerd stuff of making records, engineering, and um, around. And, and George was kind of one of my like guys for like questions. And yeah. when I started working with George, is really George and a guy named Steve Christensen and Jim Valentine, and uh, kind of really started. They they've all kind of helped me get more nerdy about those types of things. And um, and when George passed away. Uh, I his his brother was gonna was kind of selling all of the gear, and um, I I called him and said, "Hey, is is no one gonna keep the studio together?" Like I'm, I was kind of sad that it was gonna just kind of dissipate into a million different pieces, and um, I had so many memories from making records there, and uh, just felt like I was just bummed about it. So I, I was trying to put together what I felt like was the core of his sound from a gear perspective. I mean, more, yeah. you know, gear is only gear. I mean, really the soul of a, of a record is the people making it more than the gear, I think. But um, I was going to buy a chunk of the gear and try to keep it together. I didn't have a place for it. I was like, I'm just, I'll figure that out later. And uh, I rented the place back from the family for a month and we made like six records for one for the band of heathens we we covered this ray charles record from start to finish and then a few other artists and um while we were in there making those records a a buddy of mine came over and he was like dude you just got to buy all of it you know buy the house buy all the i was like i can't afford this and he was like i'll split it with you i was like oh okay now this is a tough decision so kind of had a, a buddy go in and uh, we were able to keep the place alive and, and intact. And so I didn't, I kind of didn't plan on like running a business and doing this thing for like a, a side uh, income. It was, it kind of, I've kind of just fallen into it. And um, now I'm just kind of grateful. I get to carry on some of George's legacy in, in terms of that space and a lot of the gear um, but now we're trying to also kind of make our own thing out of it. And, and, uh, it's been really, really cool. And it, again, like that's something that has an even longer shelf life than touring. Right. Yeah. Will you keep the same name studio yeah. name? Yeah. Yeah. It's called the finishing school. That's what, what George named it. And we're going to keep the name. So and it's funny, George introduced us to Jim Valentine and the tree fort. We made a record at the tree fort. I know oh. you guys record a bunch here. I love Jack and love that yeah. studio as well. That's a magical place. That's really great. What part of town is finishing school in? It's uh, near like uh, Burnett and 183, kind of the north side of town. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. yeah. So you alluded earlier to talking to, I think you were saying Fiona, about making a piece of art and then talking about what, what's, the, what's the feeling that goes into that art and um, talking about the difference between wanting to shred a solo off some song that you thought was kick-ass versus the idea of wanting to like actually work through something internal via the art that you were creating. Um, I just wonder about like for you, how much of your art is, is a way of working through problems. And then when you're making it, do you end up running up against a lot of internal stuff that's, uh, you know, difficulties, obstacles, how do you deal with them? I mean, how do you deal with the tricky thorny side of making art and being an artist um i i think that for me i love uh getting i love discovering 
um, conflict that maybe isn't right in front of us. And, uh, and I, I don't know. I, sometimes maybe I, I will hide behind like a third person narrative, you know, like some stuff is really personal, but it, it may come across in the song as not, it's not like me just telling you about me. Cause, cause I feel like there are lots of internal issues. Personally, there are societal issues. There are issues with close friends and family members. Like there's all, like we're, we're all these humans walking around with flaws and, conflict in our lives and um and then cumulatively that adds up to a society and a country and a world with like major problems right yeah and i i just i don't know i kind of feel like hey well let's it's like mining for for gold or something you're just like going through digging through shit and it could be your own shit it could be someone else's it it could be the shit we live in as a city or a country and you're trying to find the little nuggets of truth and wisdom and um, things that like when you're working through it, it kind of like hits you like, Oh wow, that's interesting. Okay. Let's, let's use this. And it sometimes makes you really uncomfortable putting it into words and then singing it, you know, yeah. the feeling of like saying that out loud. It's like revealing some of your soul, but I feel like that's kind of what we signed up for. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like kind of part of the job and, um, I, I feel like for me, it's, it's a good, it's therapeutic and it's, it's kind of a way, it's like taking a weight off having that outlet to, you know, dig through that, maybe save a bunch of money in, on therapy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I've always felt the same way. Like that's, that's the way that we work through things and that, that it's like, it is therapy. It is meditation. It's all that kind of healing stuff. Um, it's funny, you, so you describe a life, like a middle-class life as a musician, which is something we just don't hear much about because the lives we tend to, that, that get amplified are the, you know, the bigger than life, you know, diamond-studded kind of lives in the arts. Um, but the reality for those of us that are lucky enough to make this into a job is a lot more middle-class. And I just wonder, because, I mean, it sounds like you got to, a degree from a really good school and you know you there are there are alternate life paths that you could have chosen and i just wonder do you ever wrestle with that do you ever um do you have misgivings i mean is it do you self i wonder about self-doubt i mean are they, these kind of things that are just hard to work through i wonder how do you, how do you deal with that what do you think do you love what you are unconditionally i mean i hope you do actually yeah. i mean <laughs> Man, that's a good question. Um, is it though? <laughs> no, it is because because I do I do wrestle with that. I and I and it's funny as a parent now the the midlife thing like I'm hitting that midlife thing where I have my parents and I've had a great life. I've been fortunate. I have great great parents, and I can look kind of forward to and see them. I can look back and see my life as a child and as a kid, but now I'm viewing that same lens as a parent with my kids. And it, you kind of like see both, you're like right in the middle of that. Um, and I, I do wrestle with it because a lot of the things that I've done, I would really struggle with if my kids wanted to like have the same life and not because it's bad. Like I, it worked out for me. Like I'm grateful. Like I am totally, uh, 
it it worked out better than the odds said it should have. Um, just in terms of like, wow, I'm you know actually not like some homeless bum with a guitar, um, which could have easily like I know tons of great songwriters, great songwriters, as I'm sure you do too, that like have to like keep a job that they really don't like because it just what for whatever reason things didn't align with the music paying the bills. And um and so I would struggle, I think I, I want my kids to like get into art for the therapy, for the enjoyment, for the joy, for all the things that I love about art. Um but man, I would I would have a hard time if they like wanted to like make a living with it. Because it's <laughs> it's hard and the odds are it, you're not gonna, you know, make a ton of money and have a comfortable life. And when I was younger, I didn't care about that. I was like, I don't care. You know, I don't need money. I don't need, but the reality is like once, I don't know, for me, when I got a little bit older, I got married and started having kids is like, whoa, this is real. Yeah. Poverty is no longer uh, an acceptable option at that point. Right. Got to feed those kids every day. They got to eat. Yeah. And, and I'm in a unique position too. Like, uh, my wife has a job and she does well. And so like, but I, th- I think like if, even if music collapsed for me, you know, we have two incomes in my house and we're, we're, we're comfortable. Um, I'm very lucky, but it's the reality is like, then I have to go do something else. And, um, it's, <sighs> it's hard, but I, I do, when I look back on, um, career paths I could have done, that were maybe safer. I don't really have any regrets in terms of, um, I truly don't know that I would have found contentment doing that. Um, and I do feel like I love my job. And I, and a big part of that is like, I, I have great people that I get to make art with. And like the people in any job, actually, I feel like the people you're with make all the difference. Um, you know, one thing my wife and I joke about is like, had I not, I, the one year I had a straight job, had it been just like, okay, like, like maybe if I didn't hate it as much, <laughs> I wouldn't have like gone so far into like abandoning all like paths towards that. Maybe I would have just put up with it for a few more years and then I would have been like, eh, it's too late to go dive into art, you know? And so, um, I don't know. It, it, I don't really second guess it, but it's just funny how it worked out, you know? Well, one thing that that seems like it's come up a number of times just in in this conversation here is and is something that I love and I think is it's worth always restating, um, especially in music. But I guess I've seen this also in my friends who do comedy and acting and especially improv, and a, you know a lot of the other kinds of art. It's um it's so much about the people that we get to collaborate with and how we support each other and we love each other and we make each other better. I mean. You talking about George and then you talking about keeping this sort of dream alive of the studio. I think it's incredibly moving and really beautiful. You talking about your bandmates. I mean, it's how I feel about my bandmates. I just I don't think I don't think that that gets enough um, attention when people think about art and how hard it is. I love hearing you talk about though because it's that right. It's the people and it's the connections, the brotherhood, the family that of of art of the people that we work with make things with that's so sweet. yeah and and it's funny like had you not found those guys yeah like let's say 
all it would have taken was like one asshole mm-hmm. <laughs> and and like one fight back when you were 22 and maybe you just would have been like screw this and you'd be down a totally different path and you know what i mean it's like and that's kind of a, a luck of the draw thing it's like it it's funny how all of that stuff works out and um yeah it, it's weird do you do you remember i was i was going through my email today searching for this email i sent you an email 10 years ago yeah i remember we played together at some brewery that was like ahead, in, in new mexico maybe yeah 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 I remember that, but even before that, okay. you wrote something into Bob Lefsitz. Oh, yes. <laughs> and you, you were like debating like a label versus going independent for some like solo. I think you were making a solo record or something. Uh-huh. It was 2010. I found the email today and oh I was God. laughing. I was laughing that like I, I wrote you, but I literally, I, I emailed our management at the time and was like, hey, can you find Rhett, Rhett's email address for me? They're like, yeah, sure. But um, I sent you a note. I don't even know if you remember this, but I, I wrote you encouraging you to go independent. And I, I think you're on, you're on ATO now, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been, it was, that was a few record labels ago. But I did. Okay. Around that time, I did make my one ever inde- completely independent record. Probably okay. because of you, Gordy. I'm well, I, say. I, yeah, I was gonna say I don't know. I hope I hope that was a good thing. But but it's it's funny how like my band has been independent from day one. Like we yeah. we were offered a a, a a record deal not on a major but on like a, one of the indies that are respectable. Yeah, and we turned it down because it was like a seven record deal. Ugh. But um, but that's another like funny thing of like maybe how the longevity has worked out in terms of like we've been we've never been waiting around for someone to give us money to make a record or to tell us that this is marketable. We've always just been like, all right, what do we have? What can we scrape together? Let's make a record, put it out however we can with whatever budget we can, and then hope by touring and doing all the work that there's enough money to do another one a year from now and each one for us has grown and grown and grown and it's never there's been no hits there's been nothing that like shot us to the top but every couple of years something good happens that bumps us up a little higher to be able to keep doing it and i don't know i don't know if you feel like i mean how many years have the old 97s been a band 27 years 27 yeah i mean what's what's the the key all right so i'm at like 15 years yeah how do we get to 27 no you're doing it to hear the way the way you describe the way you feel about ed and the guys and the way you approach the band i mean i've you know having seen you guys play and seen the the way your band really feels like a family that's it that's all it is you love each other period and you're doing it you know what's funny though i think about how we were about five years before the turn of the millennium, and you guys were about five years after. And I, I always look at about 2000. That's the year that Napster exploded. That's the year that the record labels, whether they knew it or not, started to lose right. the business model that they thought was working. And um, we had been sort of tricked into thinking, oh, no, this is, this is great. There will always be a lot of money, and there will always be 
some major label there to hold your hand. And so for us, that transition was terrifying, and we almost didn't survive it. You guys coming up just after the turn of the millennium, you knew, you're like, oh, yeah, that was bullshit. Like, that was insane. That whole business model was so broken. And the fact that you've always owned all your own stuff and done it yourself, I think, is so admirable. And that's the way to do it. Uh, Boy, you're a great model for any uh, artist starting right now, I think. Well, we just didn't know any better. You know, we, we no one was offering us any record deals early on. It was like there never was the like we didn't come from being on a big label. We never knew what that was like to have a massive budget and like do that stuff. So we were just like, "Hey, let's just do what we can," you know. And we were fortunate that we could like we could do it, and we'd go out on tour and every gig. I remember in the early days, like every gig, fifty percent, no matter what we're paid, fifty percent goes into the fund for the next record. And 50% we take home. And if we got to go, I mean, I remember back then I was, I was a substitute teacher for AISD, <laughs> you know? So I come home from the road and, and then it was like, all right, got to make extra money. Like wake up at 630 in the morning and go substitute teach at, you know, whatever middle school or high school. And you just do what you have to do to keep going, to make another record. God, I love that. That's that. That is the way to do it. You believe in yourself, and you believe in your art almost as a separate entity. Like we're going to fund this thing and nurture it and let it work for us. What subject? I'm wondering. Did you substitute teacher all of them? You have no choice. You literally. <laughs> you would wake up every. <laughs> so back then, I don't know if it's the same way, but back then there was like a thing. Like a bunch of awesome musicians were like, "Dude, you got to sign up as a substitute teacher because there's way more. They they need more subs than they have." At the time, there was a shortage. So every morning, if like you didn't need to like book anything ahead of time, you'd literally wake up at like 5.30 or 6, which was a feat in and of itself. <laughs> but if you could wake up, you logged into some system, and there'd be like 10 or 20 sub jobs unclaimed. And you can see what grade level, you can see what subject, which schools. Like my first sub job was at Reagan High School. And... It was a special ed class, and I, I just like took it. I didn't think too much about it. I showed up, and Reagan was kind of a rough school, and the special ed, it wasn't, it wasn't like kids in, in wheelchairs like needing – it wasn't like, like people needing like physical help, which is kind of in my head. That's what I was in, like envisioning, but it was a lot of like kids that were like four or five years older – then they should have. It was more like people who just like have maybe probably learning way longer than they should have been. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it was like I had my. This is my first day. I had some kid in the back of the room turning on a computer and pulling up like death videos on the internet, where like watching people die oh. and like showing all the kids. So I'd run back there turn the computer off and as soon as I'm back at the front of the classroom he's like turn it on you can't send to the principal because mm-hmm. they were like sweet get out of class and then they just roam the, they were like stoked to just be able to roam free and I was like so terrified I didn't like know what to do I was in way over my head and uh, this finally like this kid after the third time of firing up this computer and like pull, I unplugged it thinking it'll buy me a little more time and at the front of the classroom this girl is hanging out the second story window and I go up there and like, get back in here. And she comes, she kind of pulls herself back in, closes the window, sits back down. 10 minutes later, one of the groundskeepers or janitor comes up with a stack of papers. He walks in, he says, 
who threw the test papers out the window. <laughs> so on my watch, my first day subbing, she had thrown a bunch of ungraded test papers mm. she took from the desk. So anyway, I was a failure that day, and I have a whole new respect for substitute teachers, and it makes me feel so bad about all the stuff we did to <laughs> subs when I was a kid. But anyway, yeah, I mean, dude, what you do what you have to do to make it work, you know? Well, so that alone is great advice. But so uh, finally, I would like to ask you, if you were to go back and find a 21-year-old version of yourself, but in 2020, mm. what advice would you give yourself? Uh, I would probably... Man, the, the going back to the first things we were talking about, uh, I'd, I'd probably have to say that time goes a lot faster than you think it will. And um, I, I think that that burning sense of like time running out is something that we all, we all need, uh, whether you make art or not. And, and I think that, um, you know, I don't know. I, in my, in my head, there's always like, there's a million like, oh, I want to make a record like this. I want to someday, someday I'll go make this little acoustic weird record, and someday, and and there's a lot of stuff that just time has gone by and it hasn't been done, and it's still on my list. But I think that at 21, you just have this opportunity. You're like in the sweet spot. You don't realize it. You think like, oh, I have all this time for life, but it, it goes by, and uh, you know, having kids and all those things I think uh, make you realize how, how quickly it goes by and how you got to take advantage of it. It's so funny that that, um, I think, I mean, I think that's great advice because I agree with it. Um, but I do know for me, I was always really uh, impatient. So my like lesson to myself has always been, um, take your time. You don't have to rush. You don't have to rush so much. There's lots of time, but, I'm, I turned 50 last week before we recorded this. And um, yeah, I, I know that you're right. I know that like I was 30 yesterday. So yeah, where did all that time go? Boy, it's a funny, it's a funny fine line, right? You don't want to always be rushing. And yet you want to know that this is a finite thing that we've got. Yeah. That's well, I think, funny. I think you're doing great, Gordy. I think that, I don't know. I really admire the way that you approach it. I really admire your work ethic. I really admire the way you seem to lift other people up as you come along. I I just think it's great. I'm really grateful that I got to talk to you today. Man, thanks, Rhett. It's been awesome talking to you. And uh, I want to officially invite you. We're doing our weirdo like Tuesday night band stream thing. We have guests every week. Yes. Would love for you to come collaborate and uh, and be a guest on the show sometime. Well, I'm on the record right here as saying yes, especially since Tuesday is one of the only three nights a week that I'm not doing my own streaming shows. <laughs> Great. One more stream. One more stream <laughs> to do. All right. Thanks, Gordy. Take care, man. All right. Thanks, Brett. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. 
This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.